Hey, this is Clean Gene from Clean Jeans Buy, Sell, Trade, or Give It Away, where our motto is, if you can drive it, fly it, or sail it, we can sell it. Today, we're featuring Jerry Springer's 2001 Gulfstream G200 Corporate Jet. Buy it, and you can recline in luxurious Corinthian leather. You can do a number one or a number two at 30,000 feet in your own private bathroom. Listen to Jerry's Pericoma collection on a built-in 8-track sound system, and all for a cool $2 million. Too steep? We'll finance. Got something to trade? Let's talk. And if you call right now, Jerry will throw in his lightly driven Maserati. Look, Jerry's slowing down in life and everything's got to go. His jet, his cars, his boat, his houses, even his ostrich jacket. So call Clean Jeans, buy, sell, trade, or give it away. Call today at 444-444. That's 444 and then three more fours. And remember what Clean Jean always says, and in fact, he said it way before anyone else did. Take care of yourself and each other. Welcome to Tales, Tunes, and Tom Fullery, starring Jerry Springer, along with Gene Galvin and me, I'm Megan Hills. We're recorded live in front of a brilliant studio audience at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. And ladies and gentlemen, here he is, the one, the only, the unusual, the the, the, the distinctive Jerry Springer. Oh, thank you. Oh, boy. Without a without a plane, I didn't think I'd get here. I know. Yeah. What well, well, do you give it? What? I was trying to help out, Jerry. Well, well, I know you're slowing down. Everything's got to go. And yeah. I thought, and I do have that company, yeah. Clean Jeans, Buy, Sell, Trade, or Give It Away. Yeah. And is uh, it one of the signs outside that says everything must go? Everything kind of must go. Yeah. And um, oh, anyway, man. I'm just trying to help out. Has so. anyone? Uh, uh, oh, do we have any bids on the plane? We have to see. This is the first time it ran so so I'm now there'll be literally thousands of of, of bids coming yeah. in yeah 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 for, and what do we give it to i sell it to the highest bidder uh yeah 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 and if do uh, i have to sell it or can i say that's not enough i want more oh i suppose you could do that but uh, it's all going to go and if it doesn't go we're going to give it away that's what buy sell trade or <laughs> give it away <laughs> well it's all gone <laughs> it's, all, it's all gone oh. and hey. you didn't get a chance to fly on it no, I, I, oh, I never wah, did. Wah. <laughs> hey, by the way, yeah. we probably uh, have to fire Megan, Megan Hills. She's, She's again, not, not here, here again. Again, not here. This is like six, five, six weeks in a row. Yeah. She has a good full-time HR job, and it's a traveling job. And it's evolved into that, and that happens yeah. with a lot of professionals. So... Um, She's in Knoxville, Tennessee, uh, training. That's what she does. She trains. Oh, she trains, people. but she's not training. She, <coughs> she is training these, people. That she's training she is, other her people. Her job is to it train. sounds like a wonderful job, but if she wants to work here, she should get fired then. Well, ooh, why don't I call up her boss? And just, Because you know she didn't tell her boss that she works on our no, podcast. No, I'm sure she didn't. Because I'm no, pretty boss, sure she didn't. no well, boss would let an employee work no. here. No. I mean, let's be honest. For sure. So, yeah, I mean, there'd be a whole integrity question. Right. So I'll call the boss and say, hi, I'm Jerry Springer. And then he'll say, as usual, who is this really? Yeah, you that's know? right. Or that's they right. hang up. But if that's he doesn't right. hang up, I'll say, did you know that your employee, Megan, works for us? Then she'll get fired and she'll spend more time and here. And she'll beg to be back in that chair over oh, there. Oh, No, beg. by the way. Beg, uh, baby, uh, beg. Yeah. 
we're we're working on our uh, recording schedule to allow Megan to be back. So don't write Megan Hills off. We we no, need her we're change, on this show. We've been talking about changing the day we do these. The day we record them. And uh, Megan is part of our family. We're like her crazy uncles. So I think we're going to get this worked out. Everybody be patient because that's the largest email flow that I get is where's Megan and so what constitutes your largest email flow anyway I was Uh. um, (laughs) you mentioned the word integrity yes and I I went to a concert in the park a couple weeks ago yes a place called Washington Park in a really cool neighborhood in the Cincinnati area called over the Rhine it's great and Casey Campbell our own Casey Campbell was performing, and in his repertoire, he did a song called Lincoln. And I thought, I listened to the song, and I thought, is that about the $5 bill, Lincoln? It has a chorus that's kind of catchy, or is it about the car, the Lincoln car, or is it about the president? Is it a historic folk song? And I went home, and I dug into it. It turns out that the writer of the song is a very well-known songwriter named Catfish, Williams and Catfish owns the folk school coffee parlor and sits on the Ludlow City Council, by the way, as well. And and Catfish wrote the song Lincoln. Wow. And uh, sometimes Casey oh, fronts the song like he really did it. Let me call him in here. Uh, let me call both these guys in here. First what of all, you- Casey Campbell. Whoa. Oh, look at that. Well-known songwriter and performer, and he performs solo, and he performs with a band, and he performs with uh, the Price Hill Hustle. This is unbelievable. uh, Buffalo Wobs and the Price Hill Hustle. And then you got Catfish Williams, the owner of Folk School Coffee Bar. And you play the washboard. Uh, that's yeah, why, that's why I call him Catfish Into the mic, guys. Into the mic. Here we go. Oh, Step up. We're new to this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You never let us up here before. So, <laughs> so Catfish. Yeah. So Catfish, you play, you, you play the washboard. Looking at what you're wearing, why don't you use the washboard? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is uh, just No, you can play later. Down. That's hey. why you've never had us up here before. Yeah. So... <laughs> Listen to this song. This is a great song. I believe, and I was talking to... Uh, oh, this is great. To David of Ambient Studios, David Proust, and, and we know this got a Grammy. The thing is, we can't remember the year. And I asked Catfish. He had no memory of it ever even being on the Grammys, but I know it did. We'll look into that. They're going to look into it. Just play a little bit of that song. Listen okay. to this song. It's a good song. Yeah. It's no Save the Union Terminal, Jerry. Well, you weren't very successful at saving Lincoln either. <laughs> oh, touche. The quips. Oh, mm-hmm. that was horrible. Well, I'd fight, I'd fight for my Lincoln. And I'd die for my Lincoln.
Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. And I don't even own a car, so we were hoping that one day maybe Fiat or company would sponsor us with that song. Maybe yeah. Lincoln. That's right. Yeah. That's a hell of a good song. That really is. That was only one verse. There's more. And you, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and you wrote it. We wrote it? I wrote no, he, it? Yeah, he, yes, yeah. I wrote he wrote it. it. You, I just play it. But you have to know how to spell. Did you, like... <laughs> you, that's very... It's, it's shorthand. You, okay. You write in shorthand. What, right. What's it um, What's it about? It's whatever you need it to be about. See, that, I, that's what I like about it. I came down here and I said, uh, Catfish, what's Lincoln about? I named the three things. And he said, it's like a Rorschach inkblot. You know, it's whatever you, yeah. whatever you think. It's I like whatever it. Whatever it needs to be about. All, All the right. verses are about something different, so. Yeah, it's a good song. Thank All you. All right. Thank, Thank you. you. Whoa. Catfish, Casey Campbell. <coughs> good family members. Catfish, now that you're a famous writer, could you also get me a glass of water? I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, and by the way, you know, speaking of music, because we do a lot of music on this show, and, and we are going to have on uh, John R. Miller, who was uh, born in West Virginia, now lives and works out of Nashville, Tennessee, uh, and tours around, and we're, we're very excited to have him here tonight to perform for us. Uh, we're also going to ask Jerry to talk about how the upcoming elections, the so-called midterm elections, will impact the Republican Party. Because, um, well, anyway, we're going to get him to analyze that in a second. Um, but I wanted to promote something, Jerry. The Ludlow Tavern, mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm real big on Ludlow. I probably uh, take it to the point of annoyance of promoting this town. And it's just this cool little town that has its own uh, river river town history, but it's going through these days, like a lot of small towns, a real resurgence. And in this little town now is a place called the Ludlow Tavern. And it's just this cool little joint that does, that's a bar, very much a neighborhood bar, and does uh, really good bar food. Uh, very good bar food, as a matter of fact. Do you have sliders. any financial interest in the I, bar? I don't. I don't. I mean, the, you talking about it is like Trump talking about Mar-a-Lago. Uh, well, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, stay yeah. at the Trump Tower when you're yeah, in town. That's right. But by the way, they do a thing on Monday nights now that I want to urge people, if you're ever in these parts, it's a, uh, it's, I call it a bluegrass circle. It, it's a music jam, and people from around the greater Cincinnati, northern Kentucky area, come there. And it's one of those deals where the bar's doing what it's doing. People are drinking and buying food and having fun and laughing and talking. And then over in another area of the small bar are musicians who come in, and it's different people every Monday night. You may know them, you may not know them. And they sit in a circle, <clears throat> and it's just a jam session. People sing what they choose to sing. And everybody, they're all basic enough songs that everybody's going to know the chord progression, sometimes just by hearing it. You can spot the key, and they're off and running. And it made me think of Dublin, Ireland. And you've been to Dublin, Ireland, and uh, other towns in Ireland. The common entertainment is not a group or a performer that is brought in and is in the corner playing a set, a series of sets, 
Instead, it's just artists that come in and play music. Right. So it's much more informal. And frankly, it's amazing. Wouldn't you agree? Uh, it's great. I remember when uh, Mickey and I traveled there one summer and we went to a town in Ireland. Oh, no, I'm wrong. It was Scotland. But it was. But it's similar. Same, it's all same, British Isle kind of stuff. And Celtic it was, music. It was called uh, Dundee, the town of Dundee. Yep. And we walked into this pub late in the evening because we were driving through. And we just said, let's just stop here for a bit. And we walked in and they had this long table. It was a regular bar or pub. And it had this long table. And there were 15 people around, sitting around this table. One would get up. Another would they'd come in with their banjos, their guitars, their fiddles. And everyone just said, hey, let's play this. And they all jammed. It was great. Just and great. for the person exactly. who shows up in the bar, that is uh, <clears throat> great entertainment. Yeah. And that's what's happening at the Ludlow Tavern now on Monday nights. And it's, uh, it's, it's very cool. And like I say, you, you never know who's going to be there. Probably some of the same people are there every time. And some other people uh, just kind of drift in and drift out. I play and have for years. I suck, but I play the guitar. I'm no better than when I was in college. I play a strumming mandolin. And I know that you, Jerry, performed for years at um, Mahogany Hall. Well, maybe right. for a year, a summer or two. Yeah, a couple Mahogany of summers Hall. at Mahogany Hall in Mount Adams. In Mount Adams, Cincinnati. which was a really cool kind of bookstore, coffee shop. It was great. So why don't you go to, on a Monday night, I'll go as well, to Ludlow Tavern and uh, get in on the jam? A done deal. There you go. Well, if we switch, and we're talking about sometime in September, maybe switching to doing these on Monday nights. Correct. Then we could do it here, the podcast here, and then go on next door and... Uh, Play there. I think that's a great idea. Oh, what a treat for the people. Oh, <laughs> hell yeah. <clears throat> oh, my gosh. So, so <laughs> let's, uh, all right, that, that's going to happen. We're going to do that. I, but I, after I like we it. play the two songs that I know. Yeah. How many times can you sing Love Me Tender? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right. Hey, uh, we're driving over here, and we got into this conversation, and uh, you had laid out a premise that I was pretty curious about you said that the best thing that could happen to the republican party in the upcoming midterm so that would be this november we're recording this in august of 2018 but a lot of people listen to these archived and they binge listen whatever so we're, so we're august 2018 august 14 2018 in november a little more than three months from now will be the so-called midterms Republicans control the presidency, right. the Senate, the House of Representatives. The Democrats are hopeful that they would win enough seats. They need, what, 23 or so to take over the House of Representatives. And you say, and you're a Democrat, the best thing that could happen to Republicans would be if Democrats actually took over the House in November of 2018. Yeah, Tell and us about that. And here's my theory. Obviously, I believe it'd be the best thing for America. But beyond that, I also think it'd be the best thing for the Republican Party. And I would like to see a viable two-party system. Uh, because, let's face it, if there were only Democrats, that wouldn't be good either, because eventually if you have too much power, power corrupts, and you know we would start having all the problems, 
or many of the problems that the Republicans are having by controlling everything. So here's my theory. I believe that political parties in America for at least the last 150 years have been defined in major part by how they approach the issue of race. Let me explain. Starting with the Civil War, starting with Lincoln, the Republican Party came into being, I think it, you know, they started in 1854 or something, and then by 1860, Lincoln gets elected, and the Republican Party was defined then by ultimately fighting against slavery, winning the Civil War, and because they were the ones that fought against slavery and beat the South, the South, as soon as the war was over, became exclusively democratic because they were upset. They didn't want to lose their institution of slavery. And so for a hundred years, the South was solidly democratic. Not liberal, but democratic. They were Democrats. You would go to voting booths in the South, and when you stepped inside the, the booth, there were listed all the candidates, but at the top, there was a lever you could pull that just automatically uh, cast a vote for all of that party. So for 100 years, people would go in, pull the lever for the Democrats, and Democrats always won. Democrats controlled everything in the South because of the stance on slavery. Because the Democrats won every election in the South, if a U.S. senator was elected from a Southern state, that senator would be in the Senate for life. He could never be defeated. As a consequence, because they had the seniority system in Congress and in the Senate, all the committees were chaired by Southern senators. And because of that, for 100 years, no real progress was made on anything having to do with integration, civil rights, better lives for minorities, etc. There was no progress. You couldn't make it because of the Southern senators controlled the committees and legislation if, even if you had a progressive from up north that wanted to improve things, those bills would die in committee. Then came television. After World War, in fact, by the way, the Democratic Party is, doesn't have totally clean hands on this because the truth is, after the Depression, when FDR came in to try and deal with the Depression, he was able to pass the New Deal because he could get progressives in the North, know that he always has the Southerners voting with him because they're Democrats, and they were able to pass the New Deal legislation. Not because they were liberal, but because they were Democrats. And back then, party discipline was everything. So Democrats, a lot of the things we take credit for, frankly, all the good legislation we have, or much of it, came about because we had the votes of Southern Democrats who, frankly, didn't have clean hands when it came to issues of race. Now, all of a sudden, there's World War II. 
The war is over, and now we get into the 1950s. In the 1950s, what happened? Suddenly, Americans started to have television sets. And when we started to have television in the 1950s, there were only three television stations, only three networks. In the beginning, only two of them, by the way, had news programs, NBC and CBS. ABC had the World News Roundup with John Cameron Swayze, and that eventually became a news program. So there were only, the whole nation, by 1959, which is the first year most Americans had television sets, by the end of the 50s, America could start seeing what was going on in the whole country. By the 60s, no one in the North could say, well, we didn't know how they were treating blacks in the South. We didn't know. So all of a sudden, on the evening news, you saw Southern Sheriff Bull Connors hosing down little black children that wanted to get into the first grade, or beating up blacks that simply wanted to vote, or wanted to sit at a lunch counter. All of this suddenly got into everyone's living room. So even if you weren't really a liberal, and even if you weren't crazy about the idea of integration, anyone with somewhat of a conscience would say, you know, that's not America. We can't be hitting black children over the head with police sticks and stuff like that. And so reluctantly, when John Kennedy went before, I think it was either 1962 or 63, when he spoke to the nation one evening, when all the TV stations covered his speech, he said, America has to stand up and have equality of the races, and that's when he introduced his Civil Rights Act. It didn't pass when he introduced it, but that's when he gave this speech that said the government is now going to be on the side of integration. But then he was assassinated a couple of months later, and his vice president, LBJ, comes into power, a southern senator who is now president of the United States, and because the whole country was unified after the assassination of John Kennedy, Lyndon Johnson, to his credit, said, we are going to make sure that he didn't die for nothing, that we are, going to con we are going to make sure that his legacy is put into legislation. And so in 1965, Congress passed, reluctantly and by a close vote, but it passed the Civil Rights Act, the Voting Rights Act, Public Accommodations Act, that's. And when Lyndon Johnson signed that act, he famously said, I am signing this act, but this is the day that the Democrats have lost the South for at least the next generation. And he was exactly right. Because starting in the next election, which was 1968, Nixon's Southern strategy, the South since then, with very few exceptions on individual states, the South has been solidly Republican. Television made the Democratic Party showed that the Democratic Party was associated and basically adopted the civil rights movement. So now when you think of Democrats, you think of Democrats are going to do great in the urban areas, they're going to do great in the cities, they're always going to be on the side of African Americans, of Hispanics, uh, they'll be pro-immigration, uh, the whole bit. So the issue of race has defined, in a sense, the Democratic Party as it initially defined the Republican Party. And then over time, things started to kind of even out. 
once in a while a Democrat would win in the South, once in a while a Republican would have a more moderate president and would want to do things there. So, but now we jump to this generation. This generation, it isn't so much television, this generation, it's social media. And all of a sudden, you have Trump. Now, here's why Trump is significant in this movement and why the Republican Party is in danger. The Republican Party is, is basically based on three, three legs. The business part, the business wing of the party, corporate, Wall Street, successful big corporation business. That's one wing of the party, if you can picture three wings. There's the evangelical wing, which are people that are Republicans just because they are culturally so. And they're just very religious, and their religion suggests that the culture is moving too quickly. And whether it's gay rights, minority rights, whatever, they just, they're not hateful people. They just, it's hard for them to put their head around this. So they're, so that's another wing of the party. And then the third wing, which is the most dangerous one, is the extreme right, the white supremacists, the part of the Republican Party that quietly, and sometimes not so quietly, has racist attitudes. Not always behavior, but attitudes. And along comes Trump to give this wing of the party cover. Because all of a sudden, all these things they think about minorities and uh, women and gays and Catholics and Jews and whatever it is, obviously African-Americans, Hispanics, etc. whatever they think about that, but don't want to say in public, now they got a president who tweets that. Oh my gosh, suddenly their views are acceptable. They'll show up at the rallies. They don't mind that their picture is taken giving the finger to the camera because by gosh, that's our president. He's... Now, here's why the party is in danger. In the last couple of months, the Republican Party had been running, in this, since Trump became president, on basically three items since 2016. The three items were the tax bill, replacing Obamacare, and its subtle bigotry, which appealed to various elements of the Republican Party. If you've noticed in the last couple of months, you no longer hear them talking about the tax bill because the tax bill, which many of us had been saying, was really fraudulent. It was great for big corporations. It's great for wealthy people. But for the great mass of Americans, they've noticed nothing because even those that got maybe a dollar or two more in their paycheck, inflation is higher than their real wages, so basically they're stagnant. They did not get a boost from all this talk about tax relief. Plus, when the federal government cuts its taxes, it forces local governments to have to raise theirs to make up the loss of revenue. And so therefore, the deficit grows greater, local taxes go higher. In other words, they can't talk about taxes anymore. That's why you don't hear the Republican candidates talking about that. The second thing is, they don't talk about replacing Obamacare because if they go to a town hall, the last thing they want to hear is a question about, where's my health insurance that you promised? How come with a pre-existing condition I can't get it? So they can't talk about that. So the only thing left in the Republican Party 
are the president's tweets, which is why you see him. That's the red meat for the only wing that's left. And the red meat is making fun of LeBron James, make, you know, ripping on football players, players who take a knee, making fun of congressmen or women that happen to be black and saying they're of low intelligence. His anti-Muslim stance, his anti-immigration stance, his stance against any kind of affirmative action, all these racist, bigoted views that he articulates incredibly openly on his tweets is all they have left. So now let's go to this election of 2018. You've noticed most Republican people running for Congress in most districts are just keeping their head down. They don't want to say, I love Trump, because they've got spouses at home that'll knock them over the head if they say that. They don't want to lose women. They don't want to lose the suburbs, etc. And yet, they don't want to say something bad about Trump because he'll attack them. Here's the problem. If the Republicans hold on to the Congress in November, Trump will be able to turn to his party and say, see, I told you, we kept the Congress by my approach, by my bigoted tweets. He won't call it bigoted, but my tweets is why we won this election. We didn't win it on your tax stuff. We didn't win it on your health stuff, Republican Party. You won it because of me. My way worked. And that means 2020, the Republican Party is the party of bigotry and racism. That is what they stand for. That is why virtually everybody 30 years and younger who is starting to identify with the political party now the people that are identifying with the Republican Party are few and far between at that age group. And they're not Hispanic, they're not African American, they're not young, they're not women. The demographics of America say the future of the Republican Party is zero if they go through this bigoted approach because they need that demographic to win an election. There aren't enough white men left in America anymore to win an election. If you run a campaign anti-women, anti-black, anti-Hispanic, anti-gay, you have no chance in the next 10 years of winning a national election. That's why if the Republican Party is to be saved, if it loses in 2018, It'll lose and have to lick its wounds, but at least then it won't go into 2020 following Trump. The lesson will be clear that they better start trying to reach out to all Americans and not just angry white men. All right, we're going to ask John R. Miller to come up and uh, take the seat along with his guitar. And uh, John R. Miller is, uh, was born in West Virginia. And John raised in West Virginia. You lived there pretty much your whole life, would you Raised say? in West Virginia, yeah. I was actually born outside of D.C. in uh, Silver Spring, Maryland. But oh, I, grew yeah. up, I grew up in West Virginia. Going from Virginia, no. Washington to West Virginia, is that a step up or...? Uh, 
you know, I guess it's uh, a matter of percept perspective, <laughs> yeah, it, it but yeah, I would say so. It's a great place, <laughs> West Virginia. Yeah, the, from Washington. Uh, and <clears throat> now you're in uh, Nashville, Tennessee, correct? Yeah, I live just outside of Nashville now. And does that have to do with your music? Because obviously that's a hotbed of uh, songwriting, yeah. recording. Um, yeah, it, it is uh, for sure. I uh, actually went down there. I, I also uh, play as a sideman with people and, uh, and kind of went down there. Um, it was the next place where I knew the most people when I, uh, yeah. when I sort of moved out of my hometown. And uh, uh, yeah, I, I went down there to play sideman with other bands and uh, I, I actually end up in Kentucky probably more than I'm at home now, so. <laughs> nice. Okay, and uh, you're going to do a song. For, is it from your latest album, which is uh, The Trouble You Follow? Yeah, this, this first one will be, yep. Okay, and uh, what's it called? This one's called Red Eyes. All right, Red Eyes, John R. Miller. got nowhere to go I take a trip way down below where everyone is someone you know but you can't remember how but I listen to them when they speak fall down to my wicked knees there's something else beyond the trees where the time is always now Drinking motor oil, cursing at the setting sun, hoping I find better soil before my day of work is done. Chantus liked her beer with VA juice. She taught me about love and truth when she got in my lane. She's got a voice to beat the band, and trouble dealt with every hand. Make no mistake, there is no man who can keep her soul restrained. I'm drinking motor oil, cursing at the setting sun, hoping I find better soil before my day of work is done. You got nowhere to be Doesn't mean nowhere's all you can see Said freedom is all you get for free So go tell it up on high If four walls are all you've ever known Go make some river bank your home You might find you ain't so alone Under the naked sky 
I'm drinking motor oil, cursing at the setting sun, hoping I find better soil before my day of work is done. I'm drinking motor oil, cursing at the setting sun, hoping I find better soil before my day of work is done. Yeah. Bravo! All right. John R. Miller. That's uh, Red Eyes off of his latest album, which is called The Trouble You Follow. And uh, John, I know that people can hear you at uh, johnrmillermusic.com, correct? Uh, J.R. Miller Music. Uh, pardon me, J.R. Miller. Uh, and by the way, uh, John's performing on Mountain Stage, a show that I like and know a lot of people like it and know about it on October the 21st. So congratulations on that. Would you take us out on old song Down by the Riverside and Jerry Absolutely. Springer will join you on the second verse if that's okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, it's gonna be fine. We're gonna get through it. I want I, I, I want one day for someone to be sitting up there and say, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> no I'm, I'm not sorry. doing that. Yeah. We gotta have some standards. Yeah. 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 <laughs> You think we'll have volunteers? Is that it, Casey? Yeah. Casey? Yeah. I'll let him know it's optional. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> he did. That's true. All right. John R. Miller is going to take us out on Down by the Riverside. Jerry, Jerry will join in. We don't even ask anymore. <laughs> Study war no more. I ain't gonna study war no more. I ain't gonna study war no more. Gonna lay 